JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Uh, our next guest, our first guest today, he, see if I got, they got something going on there? Is that anything? Is it playing? Right here? Play play what I have. Would you? This is the Egyptian lover, Egypt, Egypt. Hip-hop song, 1984, as you can tell. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, friend of the show who called in to request this first-timer on the Jamvy Takeover Saturday night is Greg Rakestraw. Were you shocked that I played it? Not shocked at all, uh, because the only time you've not played something that I requested was you were concerned that you couldn't find a clean version of it. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think there was a swear word in the original, which was tap the bottle and twist the cap. Right on. You know, I, as I was listening Saturday night, like the guy that I heard maybe a couple of songs before me requested ACDC, you shook me all night long. I'm like, you know, it's, it's a fine song. I, you know, it was a part of every junior high dance sure. was a part of it, Lanesville. But knowing you've got six hours every Saturday night, I try to call and request things that have not been heard in a lengthy amount of time. Like, I would guess that that was the first time Egyptian Lover has ever been played right. on B105.7. Maybe. In a previous life when 105.7 was owned by a different company, maybe maybe that song actually would have been played there years ago. But now that you've been doing this show for two and a half, three years, I figure I, I try to, not a, not a chance to stump you, but a chance to expand the palette for the <laughs> listeners across central Indiana. I don't know if Kenny Kicks over there would play that. You think? I don't know <laughs> I if he'd play that right now. I don't know if he's got that one in his mixes or not. I, I thought that that was, that was highly unusual but awesome, and it sounded good on the air too. I figured you would appreciate that much as you appreciated my AB Logic hitman yes. call from earlier in the summer. No doubt about that. Uh, how you size up IU in Maryland, and, and really an Eastern time zone 9 o'clock start, and I'm not trying to add any excuses here. Because IU, it's going to be tough for him anyway, I believe. But how difficult is that for that 9 o'clock or Eastern time-wise? I think we as fans make a much bigger deal out of it than the players do. They are so used to playing at different times of the day in college before that at AAU ball. Your day is so structured, you know, leading up to a game in terms of Hey, we're pra- we're having our walkthrough this many hours before the game. We have our team meal this many time this amount of time before the game. I don't think that's a big deal in the slightest, to be honest with you. 
How do you think the matchup goes? Last time we really watched Maryland against Purdue, and that was a one-possession win at Mackey for the Boilermakers. So Maryland hadn't been across the board incredibly impressive, but they're certainly still good enough. You've seen IU now win five consecutive. What's been your impression on their turnaround in these last five, Greg? First of all, very impressed because it was going in the absolute opposite direction. So the fact that this group, even through injuries, has had a chance to do an about face and now are playing themselves into being the second best team in the Big Ten is is pretty impressive. In terms of tonight's game, I think it's all about the Hoosiers. You know, if if the IU showed that shows up that showed up at the barn last week, then we saw that any team in the Big Ten can hang with them. To IU's credit, they did enough late. They won the game. They got the road win. They got out of there with a victory. Um, and so for Indiana, it's really about what Indiana team shows up. I think if Indiana brings their A game, they're capable of beating anybody in the Big Ten. That includes Purdue. Um, and if they bring their A game, I'm not sure how many can catch them in the Big Ten, and that applies to Maryland. So tonight is not about what Maryland does. Tonight's about what Indiana does, if they can keep playing the way they have played really for four of the last five games. So Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I had mentioned, especially in the last game and a half, Malik Renew has stepped up and played well, and you kind of wonder maybe if he's turning that so-called corner as a freshman. Um, and that would be great, but do you see somebody – from the outside shooting range that's possibly able to add consistent value because you hope sometimes that it's Galloway and it's been you know on and off. You hope sometimes it's Bates. He's had a big game. Most of his games that are big come at home. But can we see, can you hope for a little bit more consistency three-point shooting-wise from somebody outside the painted area for IU, you think, moving forward? I was going to say, do, do we count Miller Cop in, in that range, or we consider him one of the one of the top two shooters? That, I, that, that, that I don't know if it's as important for him. Every week. I agree with what you're saying. I don't know if it's as important for him to me as it would be for Galloway or somebody like Bates to be able to do it. Because I mean, they they to me would have a little bit more uh, of a dynamic to their game off the dribble. I just don't think he has that. He's just kind of you know, you know shoot. He's kind of you know get the pass and shoot, skip pass and shoot, um, and that's it. It'd be nice if he did that more, but I just think those guys have a little bit more of a higher level to their game that they could add, and certainly IU offensively could use. As long as you have the high-handed dudes playing well, everything else is a bonus. In other words, you know what you can get from Trey Galloway, all right? You know you can get a little bit of everything from him. Always outside shot has been kind of the most spotty aspect of his, of his game. If he can knock it down, great. But you win because of what he does defensively and rebounding and little things, et cetera. As long as you have Hood Shafino and Jackson Davis playing well and on the floor and healthy and contributing 30 to 35 minutes a night, everything else is a bonus. So, yes, this is a better team when Malik Renew is, is, is playing better. It's a better team because Race Thompson is back on the floor. But as long as Hood Shafino and Jackson Davis are on the floor together, I think this team is going to be okay. So, Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I have tagged must-wins for IU tonight and Purdue tomorrow against Penn State at home because we are bound and determined to get one of the bigger both sides playing well IU-Purdue matchups we've seen since? Question mark. When's the last time? you got to go back to like the, the late 90s. I think at this point, and I know that's the last time that they were ranked in, in certain positions. 
And that's the thing I, I was I was listening to the opening segment of the show, and you're talking about Zach Eady in the National Player of the Year conversation. Kevin Willard saying, hey, I think Trace Jackson Davis is is the best player in the Big Ten, or the most important player in the Big Ten. And the immediate thought that I had to that was, isn't it nice that we're talking about the national relevance of teams and players of Indiana and Purdue simultaneously? Because we just haven't had that for so long. So uh, I think both teams, clearly Purdue, has played themselves to a point where these next two nights are not must-wins. I realize that my threshold for that is a lot higher than yours when it comes to things, yeah. considering things are must-wins, because yours is pretty much a day that ends in Y. That makes it a must-win. Exactly. Um, it's nice, though, to have that for the national stage and to where we are legitimately talking about Purdue one, Indiana two, in terms of the best teams in the Big Ten. I know Butler fans probably don't want me to bring this up right now, and we felt that it was going to be a, a tough season, a rough season, but certainly not this rough. Is that, you think, showing signs of the future, or is it just ultimately in the first year again for Thad Mata a bad season in general? Is this something you think that they can rectify further down the road? Down the road, yes, is because things can be so quickly fixed these days. You can turn things around, and it's a completely different level. But, like, I've got an IUPUI game coming up on Thursday, and sadly they're not the team that's turned it around yet. Uh, they're, they're, they're doing some things better. They're much better offensive teams. are getting closer to getting, to getting wins in the Horizon League. It's the team I'm going to talk about on the other side is Milwaukee, the team that they are playing, and it's a different level. I get that. But, for example, they basically have, like, an entirely new team. They returned three players from last year's team. The guys they returned averaged eight points a game last year. Their top seven scorers through graduation or transfer are all gone. That was a team that was in the back half, back third of the league last year. They're the top team in the Horizon League. They're not in three. They've won 15 games. Again, it's not apples to apples, but you can flip your roster so quickly that, to me, a bad year could be wiped away because you can just clean the deck, bring in a, a, a new cast and crew because of the transfer portal. And so I don't think it's a matter of Thad Mata forgetting how to coach. It's about Thad Mata having the right pieces, having the right assistant coaching staff, having the right schedule. Frankly, behind the scenes, having the right amount of money in terms of name, image, and likeness. These are all things that you now consider in terms of a program. So did I think Butler was going to be great this year? No. Did I think they'd be better than they have been? Absolutely. Can you change it on a dime because of how college basketball is structured now? You absolutely can. And so I'm not sure how much of a, 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 a carryover, a rough year this year, will have on Butler next year. Hey, you brought up IUPUI, and I'm probably being way, way too simple. And you certainly can correct me on this. I always thought if you just kind of make a circle in you know a yep. 90 mile radius of Indy here, and just I'm not talking about getting the best, but get guys that we know and you know can play. And again, it sounds I guess easier said than done. Is that something they try to do, or am I just am I just giving a fairy tale out when it comes to college it's, basketball recruiting? It's something they have pieces like that. I wish they'd do more of. Um, you know, for example, Vincent Brady has won the Horizon League Freshman of the Week four times this year from Cathedral. The Gerard Twins from Mount Vernon, uh, I always get the two of them confused. I believe it's Armand that has won twice uh, this year, including last week for IUPUI. So they have six different times that players have been honored 
as the Horizon League Freshman of the Week, um, and those are local kids. Um, I'd like to see more local kids in the program. Um, the example you make is something that I cite, and again, it's an old-school reference, but remember back in the day when Memphis State was really good, even in the pre-Penny Hardaway days? Yeah. And you would have yep. the public address announcer announce the hometowns of the five Memphis starters, and I guarantee you he said Memphis, Tennessee five consecutive times. Yep. Kind of the same thought for IUPUI. Um, you know, the, 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 the old Howard Schellenberger days in football, the University of Miami, drew a line at Interstate 4. Everything south, that's the state of Miami. I draw a line around 465. That's where we live. Doesn't mean for all 15 players, but you have to dominate in that area, and I hope that IUPUI gets back to that point. Well, and I said the same thing for a number of years regarding Indiana State. And, you know, that included, you know, the area south of Terre Haute into Illinois, into, you know, southern Illinois, uh, going even further west out of I-70 with, you know, the talent ends up going someplace else. And you still have other teams to recruit against. But it does seem like, and always has to me, it sounds like a, a very sound philosophy if you would choose to do it. Right. And again, Indiana State's a bit of a different, you know, animal. And again, that level is now going to be so transient where one of the things that Josh Schertz has done, and I think this is wise, and you see more schools that are doing this, they're going to guys with Division II backgrounds. It is easier to make that jump as a head coach because it's now easier to make that jump as a player. So you look at what Indiana State has done. Yeah, they've got a, a really like the Avila kid that is there as a freshman. It's a six ten that can shoot it. I like him. Chicago area, correct? Somewhere up there, I think. Correct. Yeah. All right. I forget exactly where he. I did one of their names. I forget where he's from. Um, but you've got the niche kid from Cloverdale. That's the kid you want to recruit home. And really, they did him. He was barely at Butler for a day and a half. They recruited him back from Butler to play at Indiana State. But you look at a lot of their kids, the kids that were playing a good level of Division two. you kind of have like the D2 All-Stars, and because of Josh's tenure at Lincoln Memorial, he kind of knows where those kids are. Um, I get all reference Milwaukee. Their head coach was at Queens, which is just making the jump to Division one, which was down in Charlotte. And he, he only brought like one Division two kid with him, had a bunch of JUCO kids to turn it around this year. But you're, you're seeing coaches succeed where they're finding places to mine talent that others don't know where to do it. So that's the route that Indiana State has taken, and clearly it's been working for them at now 7-5 and five in Missouri Valley. Play. So Greg Raystraw with us. Before I let you go, I saw where uh, Chris Ballard's son, Cole, uh, is the quarterback for Westfield, and yep. apparently he signed with Kansas to play football at Kansas. I, I don't know too much about him other than he played quarterback, and I remember you go back to week number one, I believe it was, this past football season. I was listening on my way home, and there was a bit of a struggle for Westfield playing at New Pal in that game. What type of player is he at quarterback? Is he a, a college quarterback moving forward? Will they move him someplace else? How might that work? Good question. I only saw him one time, and that was the Carmel game this year where they were really solid. Um, my guess would be if he stays at quarterback, he's probably more of a program kid. In other words, I'm not sure how much playing time he's going to get at that level. Athletically, I think they could move him to a different position, wide receiver, uh, defensive back, maybe even bulk him up the linebacker a little bit, and he might have a better chance of seeing the field. Um I'm not sure I see him being a Big 12-level quarterback. I think he's a Big 12-level athlete. If he stays in the quarterback position, may have to, to switch schools to see a little more playing time 
but I wish nothing but the best for that kid. What struck me was that he was a, a tough kid and a good leader, which is what you'd expect for somebody that literally has grown up around the National Football League. All right, quickly before I let you go, sectional play starts for the girls around the state of Indiana tonight. Your favorites there, and then your favorites once we get toward the end of the regular season for the fellas. All right, so if you go class by class, you know where my heart's at, and obviously the, the math backs it up, Lanesville. Uh, they are 24th in the state in Sagarin ratings, not in 1A, in everybody. 22-2. Uh, I'm hoping to see them three Saturdays in a row in the month of February, and the last report being at Game Ridge Fieldhouse. The, the clear favorite in 4A is South Bend, Washington, uh, because of the two Reynolds sisters, the older one now playing at Maryland. They've got Rashad Allen, who's going to play at Purdue off of that team. They have to play some really good teams uh, in terms of the northern half of the bracket, Whoever comes out of the Hamilton County sectional at Noblesville, Fort Wayne North, if there's several really good teams in the Fort Wayne area too, South Bend Washington is the clear favorite. In terms of 3A, the best teams probably in the north, who that's going to be, we'll find out. Twin Lakes is undefeated. they got to get past a pretty good West Lafayette team in their sectional. Good Mishawaka Marion team is in the northern half of the bracket, but you got to go with the undefeated team that catches your attention in 3A. In 2A, it could be anybody. Forest Park is the defending champs. Central Catholic was the 1A runners-up. They're now in 2A this year. But uh, I know we're, I, the most definitive favorite is 4A. And, of course, my personal favorite is always in 1A. There you go. All right. My friend, I appreciate that. Great request on Saturday, too. I'm assuming you'll give me another coming up this Saturday. What, uh, what, what is this week's show topic? Well, I think they're doing something. It was, Eric told me yesterday it's like uh, the you know what they call the uh, jack format, where it's basically anything. But the problem is that's what I normally do anyway. It's kind of like that. So, yeah. so dealer's choice. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be dialing you up on my way back from Noblesville on Saturday night. You got it, buddy. Appreciate you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Look at all those ding-dongs. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Greg Grayshaw a little bit earlier. Bobby Marks from ESPN coming up a little bit later on. Miles Turner yesterday, podcast 107.5thefan.com. Tyrese Halliburton and Daniel Tice looking good to go coming up for the games this weekend. IU Maryland tonight, 9 o'clock is that tip. Trace Jackson Davis, I believe right here coming up on Thursday as well. Robbie Hummel on Friday. Robbie Hummel is a part of the broadcast later on tonight. Meantime on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, 30 PBA titles, I think 14 majors in all, and I'm hoping he got it right there because he hails from Australia. Jason Belmonte joins us. Can you name the group I just brought you in on with the re-entry music? Did you hear it? I couldn't hear it, no, but uh, my my ability to name bands uh, is pretty poor. (laughs) Oh, the church (laughs) from Australia. The church. Under the Milky Way. I didn't hear it to start with. But uh, I have heard of the church. All right. So what, what's your what's your favorite Australian band while I have you here? Mate, um, it's 
they don't, they're not around anymore. But um, back in the day, there was uh, a couple of local. When I say local, they were in my area. Um, Birds of Prey was uh, one of my favourites. It's uh, it's a bit of an alternative rock band. Uh, they were really, really good, but they're not around anymore. Unfortunately, they broke up, so that sucked. Was was, was Silverchair from Australia? If you remember, you remember that Silverchair is Australian. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, that. What they are? Well, Daniel, uh, the lead on that is just one of the most amazing musicians ever. So yeah, that's, uh, that's well, another very, very popular. Band. Well, there was there's a bad host call right here. I play my own reentries. I went more for the Australian band of my era than I would have. You're 39, so that would have been more Silverchair your era. So that's Silverchair for sure. Yeah, yeah. operator error right here. I, I mentioned 30 PBA tour titles 14 majors how meaningful is this trip to indy and what's what you're going to be going through here at the uh, royal pen at woodland and the u.s open of bowling yeah this is uh this is one of the five majors that we compete on in the year and the u.s open been um you know arguably the most prestigious of them all so it's uh, it's always a thrill to, to bowl the U.S. Open, uh, but it's it's probably even more special here in India because the uh, the venue that we're playing at is Royal Pin Woodland, and it's one it's the only bowling center in the world who has held all five PBA majors. So there's a lot of history. Uh, there's a lot of uh, amazing moments that have happened here in Indy, and to be competing at the U.S. Open, again, here is just uh, a really special thing. He is the best out there. Jason Belmonte joins us. You can see him at Royal Penn Woodland as a part of the bowling U.S. Open. We, we know in, in like sports like baseball and basketball and, and American football, and I'm sure you get that in Australia as well, there is a great deal. When you're, when you're at the level you are, normally there's a great deal of reflection on those that have come and conquered and played well before you. Uh, do you look back at those before you and, and, and place yourself against some of the greats of bowling all time? Um, well, I think the first thing you do when you look at the greats is you kind of um, have a, a massive admiration for what they're able to do. I mean, as, as someone who competes on the pro tour, I know firsthand just how hard it is and, and how grueling the schedule is and how frustrating the game of bowling is. So the first thing you do is you look back at those who have done it and done it so well in the past and just think to yourself, like, these, how did these guys do it for so long? So there is an admiration. My, my thought process on how I will stack up against them is um, I'd like to – think about that and look at that when I hang the laces up for the very last time. I feel like while I'm, while I'm here in the moment, I've got uh, a few things that I want to check off my, my bucket list. And, you know, if I get all of those things done, then I can maybe reflect on and see where that stacks up against uh, the history of the game. Jason Belmonte joins us, the 30 PBA Tour, 14 major, seven-time PBA Player of the Year. Uh, besides what is before you right now here in Indy, what are some of the other accomplishments you're still looking forward to as your career continues moving forward? Uh, well, I would love to win the U.S. Open for a second and third time. I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to win it once, but if I am lucky enough to win it twice, uh, I will have owned all five major championships twice over. Uh, and if I win the U.S. Open a third time, um, I will have all five uh, major championships uh, won three times over. And that's 
that's really ridiculous to say out aloud. <laughs> yeah. I never thought in my in my wildest dreams that I would get uh, to be two US Opens away from winning all of the major championships at least three times. But that is something that's right there in front of me. I have a chance this week to uh, to get number two of the US Open and. And that will be the the utmost uh, on my radar. Have you seen over the course of your career the sport of bowling grow, and how much have you seen of that grow since not since you've been playing? You've been playing since you're you know a baby basically, but how have you seen that grow with all of your stops on the tour? Yeah, everywhere we go, um, we see that growth typically in the amount of fans that are coming out to watch us uh, or that are watching us and, and creating viewership on TV and also through social media. And, you know, a lot of those things, it's really, it can be difficult to say, well, how much has it grown? But, you know, when you have the data of, of how many viewers uh, we're getting every single week on, on FS1 or Fox and, you know, how many times our social media posts are getting shared, um, you know, that's, that's factual data in front of you that you can say, you know, the game of bowling is not just growing, but it's growing in the right demographics. It's, it's growing um, all over the world. Uh, and that's something that we bowlers are really proud of because that's, you know, and I, I, I think I can speak for all pro bowlers, but, you know, one of our passions is we don't want to just take from the game. We want to give it back. Um, and part of that is you want to give it back to more people. And so when the game grows, it's better for you. It's it's better for the game. It's it's better for for everyone involved. So, it's exciting to see a lot of young kids and a lot of teenage kids coming out to watch us and and follow us through social media and on TV. And uh, we're going to continue to push that and grow it further. It's interesting. Jason Belmonte joins us. It, you've seen everything grow with with certainly social media and technology within the layers of your sport, how much has that technology and social media helped it out? And again, helped out not only your accessibility to the fans, but vice versa in this case, Jason. Yeah, look, I think the biggest thing that I've noticed through the advancement of technology with social media and YouTube and things like that is is access to information. I mean, when I grew up, I, I grew up in a, uh, I still live there, uh, in a really small country town in the middle of nowhere in Australia. And, you know, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have YouTube. And so everything that I had to learn on the lanes, I had to do through trial and error, I had to do through experience. Um, and that's, that's obviously really frustrating when you're constantly losing and you're trying to figure out why. And it can also be really expensive. You know, every paycheck I got, I saved to go to a bowling tournament. And if I didn't do well, um, that was a costly experience for me. However, now, you know, you can get on YouTube and you can watch the greatest players in the world and you can study them. You can learn from them. There are coaches and, um, and professional players who are offering their wisdom through this means of technology, which, you know, now I look at the, the younger generations coming through and I'm seeing, you know, teenage kids who are bowling well beyond the years uh, that, that I was or what I ever saw growing up. And I think it's just that access is so easy now for them to do it, which allows them to really focus on parts of their game that they probably wouldn't have learned until, you know, maybe into their mid-20s. And, and so they've got a head start, which is, really exciting because now you're starting to see the talent um, just 
explode throughout the world. And it's a little scary. I'm glad I'm 39 and not and not just starting out on tour because <laughs> the kids that are going to be on tour in the next 10 years uh, are going to really give my records a run for my money. It's uh, Jason Belmonte here with the U.S. Open. That's at Royal Penn Woodland. Tickets certainly are available. Seven-time PBA Player of the Year going for uh, his second, I believe, U.S. Open title up at uh, Royal Penn of, of Woodland here. I, I'm curious, you grew up, your father had a bowling alley, a bowling lane, a bowling center, if you will. So speaking of, you know, kind of getting a head start, that gave you a head start. So was it just kind of, hey, I love bowling from the time you even knew what the heck it was when you were growing up in Australia? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I, I was born into bowling. Neither of my parents were bowlers themselves. They just thought the game of bowling would be a great business opportunity for for my small country town. And so while they worked um, pretty much, you know, 15, 16 hour days, uh, I would be at the bowl. And to keep out of their way, they would give me a ball and a pair of shoes and I would just bowl and bowl and bowl all day long. And that love and passion was immediate. As soon as I could um, roll the ball down the lane by myself, which was at 18 months old, that's all I did. And that's all I wanted to do. It, uh, I would get withdrawals if I didn't, if I didn't have a role for a day. So that passion was, was, I, I actually say it's a part of my DNA now. Bowling is just something that, um, it is me and I'm forever grateful that mom and dad decided to build a bowling center because this is a game that I love to, to the very bone. I love how complicated it is, how difficult it is, how frustrating it is. Um, and I also love the sounds and the smells and, and the way that it makes you feel when you let go of that perfect delivery. So it is definitely a passion that was born into me and uh, I wouldn't want it any other way. Jason Belmonte is our guest. All right. So your, your two hand style approach, I guess, delivery to approach and delivery. Were you the first? And if not the first, what number were you that started with that particular approach and style? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm not entirely sure what number I was. I mean, I did it um, out of necessity. Like I just said, I, I started at 18 months old. And so the bowling balls uh, in Australia were just simply too heavy for me to use a traditional style. And I didn't know any other way. We didn't have coaches uh, in my small town. And so I just figured out something that worked for me. And it wasn't until... Um, you know, 20 plus years into my career that I knew that uh, there were other people that had done this before me. Um, not very many, I should say that. I, I know of one American, um, his name was Chuck Landy. Uh, and he, he, from what I have been told, I've never been able to see him throw a ball down the lane, but from what I'm told, he was a brilliant player in himself. And so, um, you know, when when you start out and there's only one, two or three of you around the world, um, it, it feels funny <laughs> because, <laughs> because uh, you, you see what it has become today. And, you know, there are an estimate of about 25 to 30 percent of bowlers around the world that have adopted the two handed style. And so it's it was something that I never thought I'd see, but now that um, I see it in front of me, it's kind of cool because now I feel like I've got a few friends with me all over the world. Uh, I'm curious, has the two-handed delivery always been legal in bowling play? 
Yeah, as far as I know. I mean, I, I remember growing up, it was... Uh, that may be the dumbest question of all time, by the way, and I apologize if oh, that is. no, not at all. No, it's, it's, it's something that um, even today, traditionalists, uh, are constantly trying to figure out and find ways to, uh, you know, call for its banning or, or for it to be illegal because it's breaking some rule. However, uh, there is no rule that we are breaking. And growing up, it was one of those things, even in my own home family bowling centre, there would be people that would be calling for me to, to convert to the traditional way because the two-handed style should be illegal. And, you know, it, it's... It's not. It's a much. It's much easier now that I'm 39 to handle that kind of criticism. But when you're a five-year-old boy and you're getting told by all the adults, uh, "Hey, you're cheating. You should bowl like us." Um, that can be really hard to handle. So, one of the things I'm really proud of is the the new wave of two-handed bowlers. You know, if anyone ever says something about the legitimacy of their style, they can always point to me and say, "Well, well, this guy does it," and and I'm really happy to be to be able to be a a beacon for that because I knew it was not it wasn't a lot of fun growing up and told you're cheating when you weren't. Well, somebody that knows no, doesn't know you personally very well but follows you says that you have with your style helped introduce bowling to a much younger generation. That's kind of how it was described to me. Is that is that true? You, you think that's true? Uh, well, that's. I mean, when I when I talk to people and I ask them when they when they show me how they bowl and and I say, oh, you know, that's you bowl like me, and they go, yeah, you know, it's 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 more powerful, and I can create more hook, and I can I can send pins flying all over the place, and I think that's what's attractive, especially to the younger generation of that style of play is, and it's what honestly it's probably one of the things that I fell in love with when I when I was able to bowl the way that I was is I could hook the ball so much and I was bouncing pins all over and to me that was cool and I think that's what the younger generation is seeing is the ability to make these pins dance unlike you know the generations before them is something really special and fun to do so when you see a young teenage boy or girl uh, bouncing the pins around, and then you look at their face. The expression says it all. You know, they're they're having fun, and ultimately, if you're not having fun doing something, it's very unlikely you will continue to do it for much longer. And so, if the way that I bowl has inspired many others to do it, and it gives them a sense of joy when they come to the lanes, um, you know, that's also something that that makes me feel really good. Do you have a bowling hero? Somebody you followed growing up? Uh, well, I was unaware of the PBA uh, until much later in life, but um, I have uh, three bowling heroes of mine throughout the years. I had my local hero, his name is Peter Brown. Um, I just did my hair like him. I wore the same types of clothes as him as a little kid. Uh, and then when I met uh, a gentleman by the name of Tim Mack, he was an American guy. Um, Tim was doing things to a bowling ball that I wanted to do. And so I idolized him and I, I tried to become as good as him. And then moving into the pros was uh, Norm Duke. I watched Norm, um, who is a Hall of Famer, uh, recently retired, sadly. I, I miss seeing him out on tour. So, um, But watching Norm uh, attack the lanes the way that he did, and I bought my first bowling ball because of Norm and the way that he would throw it. And I would like, i got to get that ball. Norm Duke is throwing it. So those are the three people that I've idolized growing up. How often did you ever match up with Pete Weber? 
Oh, we bowled on tour. Well, for my whole career until he retired, also um, a couple of years ago. Got any good uh, story? We, you got any good stories working there? Any really good stories? Because normally Pete Weber, of for nothing else, will bring the good stories with him. He's been on here before too. I'm just kind of curious. Any good stories that maybe nobody knows? About this, well, I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you a story, uh, and then I'll tell you you know who he is, and I, I think that's probably I'll start with who he is first because I think there is definitely uh, a misunderstanding of Pete. Who who Pete is when he has his bowling shoes on uh, is a completely different gentleman to the man who is off the lanes. Um, I've I honestly can say I don't know a more sweet. Um, gentle and kind person always every time i ever saw him his first two questions were always how are you and how's the family um he would you know just be like i said just a a really kind uh human being now when he puts the shoes on uh to go bowl a few balls he becomes a monster and you don't want to get in his way <laughs> he becomes <laughs> a, com- a completely different animal and that was what made pete so so great is he he was able to channel that type of aggression into his own games and and just destroy pins and so you watch him as a competitor you didn't know what you were going to get because you just didn't know how fired up he was on the inside until he let it out um but probably my most favorite story of pete um is i was only young too um he i have i wasn't on tour i was an amateur i'd come to the u.s for a tournament uh, an amateur tournament, and the pros were in town at the same time in, in Las Vegas. So I said to my friends, like, we've got to go watch the pros. You know, maybe we'll get a glimpse of some of these people. And Pete Weber was walking out the door as I was walking in, and I was starstruck and said, Pete, uh, is there any any way that I could take a photo and, and have an autograph? And he was very polite and said, yep, no problem. And he heard my accent, and he said, oh, what are you doing here? I said, oh, I'm, I'm bowling in an amateur tournament. In fact, I just got knocked out. Um, cause I left a, a solid nine pin in the 10th frame. And he said, uh, did you have nine strikes in a row before the nine pin? I said, no, I didn't. He said, well, it wasn't the nine pin that cost you the win. It was the nine strikes before it. You didn't have that cost you the win. <laughs> and it was, it was like the most humbling and truthful thing I'd ever heard. Here I was for like, you know, a full day complaining about this nine pin. And then Pete just puts me in my place and says, well, maybe next time strike nine times before and you won't have to worry about the 10th frame all too often. So Outstanding. It was uh, wise words, but uh, it wasn't what I was expecting to hear out of his mouth. So that was, that's one of my favorite pieces. <laughs> that's outstanding. Jason Belmonte, uh, people have told me the Tiger Woods of the PBA in town. When, when are we going to see you? Uh, well, we're we're competing right now. We start um, today. The we're at um, Royal Pin Woodland, uh, where we basically bowl all day long. So there's three squads, A, B, and C squad, starting at uh, 8 a.m. in the morning and finishing at 9 or 10 p.m. at night. So you'll see the world's best players uh, attack the lanes to try and take home the U.S. Open trophy, all the way through to the TV show, which is on on the weekend so if you're interested you're more than welcome to come and buy some tickets and watch us play at uh, royal pin woodland and uh, i'm pretty sure the tickets for the tv show uh if they haven't sold out already uh, are probably very close to it so you can head over to i think pba.com 
and you can find out all of the information about dates and tickets and locations and all that other stuff. I am going to send listeners of this show that are listening right now out there to yell at you in a good way. Is that cool? Okay. In a good way. Yeah, I, I, I don't mind a yellow tour as long as it's uh, in support. <laughs> <laughs> it will be definitely in support. It is outstanding to talk with you. Congratulations on what you've accomplished so far. And uh, obviously, uh, nothing but respect and to go out and get it moving forward as well. Jason, thanks for coming on the show. And while you're here, and enjoy Indy and enjoy those watching you up there. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Jason Belmonte right there on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. That's a good guy. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Rising Stars game will have a couple of first-timers, first-year players from the Pacers. Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nimhard will be a part of that All-Star Weekend extravaganza right there, which is really cool. Now, a couple of days ago, actually over the weekend, it was reported that Miles Turner gets a two-year extension. We talked to Miles yesterday on the show. That podcast, by the way, is 107.5thefan.com. And on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he is the NBA executive insider for ESPN. The former NBA exec, our friend Bobby Marks, is with us right now. Hello, Bobby. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Um, You've sized up that Miles Turner two-year extension. What does it mean from both the Pacers and the Miles standpoint to you? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of a win-win. I mean, he gets a a nice you know, $17 million, basically in a, uh, you know, big chunk of uh, kind of a, you know, it's a renegotiation against their cap space. And he gets that this year on top of his, you know, already $18 million uh, contract. He's paid comparable to a max uh, player. And then you get a nice big drop from uh, Indiana's perspective. That's kind of the trade-off is that it, you know, it decreases 40%. And now you have a, a, a contract, you know, at 21 and 20 for the next uh, next two years, which is kind of the, the going rate for, you know, if you're not Jokic or Embiid or some of these top centers out there, that's kind of similar to kind of where Clint Capella came in there, and I, I think it's I think it's a fair deal. I really do. I mean, I've I've talked about it that you know because the um, you know it didn't violate the extension restrictions. Um, you know, there is no six month restriction from a trade standpoint. I would say there is probably a chance that he is not going to be be moved by by February 9th. I know that that Coach Carlisle and and Kevin Pritchard have, you know, gone on the record there. And I just think even if something did come about, like, you know, a wow-type deal, I just think the league would probably – you know, put a kibosh to it because you know how do you how do you renegotiate a player and extend them and then move him ten days later? I, I think where where it could come into play is that you know if there's something happens at the trade deadline, I mean at the uh, at the draft in June or early in free agency instead of waiting until August um, to you know with that restriction lifted here. So I, I just I, you know the scope of it, I think it's a kind of a win win and. You know, I think you could have said, hey, why don't you wait until after the um, trade deadline and maybe you're able to use um, cap space. I just think if there was a deal out there to be made for a $25, $26 million player that it was going to happen already. So um, I like it for, from, for both ends. So Bobby Marks of ESPN with us. Is there a precedent with what you just described, a renegotiation and then 10 days later a trade? Never. 
Never happened. <laughs> Never <laughs> happened. And you know, I mean, I think it's they're really rare. I mean, I think there's only there's only been nine renegotiations um, that I know of. The last one was Robert Covington in 2017, uh, Galinari and, and Wilson Chandler back in uh, when they were in Denver. Here, it's just it's a, it's a unique situation. It's kind of like an NFL type contract where you know rarely with cap space this late in the game. Um, you know, and, you know, he basically met the criteria as far as being on that roster or, on, you know, the contract more than three years here. So, no, I, I, it's, I've i never seen it happen as far as a, a player uh, renegotiated that is automatically uh, moved. I mean, I think that's where you'd have the league come in and say, wait a minute, it's, it's cap circumvention. You basically boot, bumped him from 18 to 35, and now you can go out and get a player that's making 30 where you couldn't do that before. So, um it is. Uh, I don't. I, as I said, I don't. I don't see that happening here. But it is one of these unique, uh, unique situations. For what we know right now, and again, this is just personal opinion here from you. Do you, do you think that this is working out much better and positioning the Pacers much better than had the Suns decided not to counter and match that qualifying offer going all the way back to the summertime as DeAndre Ayton at the time was a restricted free agent. Do you think this works out better for the Pacers now as we sit here? I do. I mean, I, I like, you know, Turner at, at two years, you know, 41 million compared to eight and at three years, a hundred, I guess. Right. That was kind of would have been for right. next, for right. the next three years here. And it just gives you a lot. It's a good number. I mean, it's a good number and, and it's, it preserves, you know, you still have about thirty million next year to kind of still build with. Um, I just, it's hard, it's hard for me, as I said, unless it's you know Embiid or Jokic, one of these top centers, to commit, you know, thirty four, thirty five million dollars to a to a center here. So I think it's worked out um, well for Indiana. It's it's, it's funny the. You know, I, I just look back at, you know, in Brooklyn, you know, not when I was there, but they had two situations where they put offer sheets out for Otto Porter, Tyler Johnson, and Alan Crabb. Right. And right. all three were matched and they were fortunate. All three were matched. Right. So I think you do have to be. And I, I understand where Indiana was coming from this this offseason. But the, the best thing sometimes is when that that other team comes in there and then matches that. And then it gives you, you know, the, you know, more options to kind of continue to build your roster. He is Bobby Marks of ESPN, the NBA front office executive on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. You know, sometimes, too, it, it takes recognition with both. And I talked to Miles yesterday, and, and this was my point that I don't know right now if there is a better fit considering the combination and that synergy he has shown with Tyrese Halliburton. And if there's a better fit in the NBA for Miles Turner than right here. Oh, I completely agree. I think it's, I think you kind of get into a little bit of a danger zone when you start to look outside of what you already have, and you know if there wasn't a re, if there wasn't a contract with this renegotiation, he certainly would have been a free agent here. And I think the options out there probably would not have been more appealing than what he already has in Indiana. And I think. You know, it's a shame that, you know, Halbert and his hurt, um, you know, this team has, you know, certainly taken a little bit of a slide here. But, no, you have two – you certainly have two building blocks, uh, you know, a, a big and a guard. Um, and then you kind of fill in the P. You know, Matherin is a, is a keeper. I mean, he's a he's a special player here. And um, you have more options with those three guys than probably some of these other teams out here. And, um, you know, it's it's it, it worked out for Miles. Um, you know, he'll be able to go out in free agency, I think, when he's 29 again in 2025. So there's probably another bite of the apple if he can 
continue to stay healthy. What's his market value right now in your estimation across the NBA? Just for example, I know he's evidently not going to go anywhere since there's no precedent, but what's his market value, you think, across the NBA landscape? Well, I mean, you see what's going on, right? And I think he would get more. I mean, you know, Boyan Bogdanovic is, and it's a different position. Um, you know, Boyan was on an expiring signs, signs a, um, you know, that ex- two-year extension with uh, with Detroit. And now, I mean, like, we're, we're he's the hot name, right? I mean, he's the hot name during the trade deadline because he's he, he's got more value uh, with length on the contract than on an expiring here. And I think. You know, you know, you know, Bolion's asking value is a is an unprotected one here. So, in, in a player, so I think if you go into the market in June and you know, and you've got you know, um, you know, two, you know, you, a team out there's got and he stays healthy and you know you can get you have him for two more years. I think, yeah, I mean, I think you're you know, you, you're, it's not a Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert type package if you ever wanted to do that, but you can get you'll get tremendous value out of that. So Bobby Marks of ESPN, he's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And you mentioned he's he's been injured, but it appears that uh, maybe this weekend, Thursday and Friday, is the back-to-back. And uh, Daniel Tice, for the first time, we may see here, he may ultimately be somebody that they part with at the trade deadline. I don't know. But uh, before we get into some of those trade deadline opportunities, some of those storylines going into next Thursday, what, what do you think the value of Tyrese Halliburton is going to be once they feel it's time for them to pay him again. Yeah, I mean, if he's he's likely probably going to see his name called on Thursday, I, I would hope so as a reserve. Um, you know, uh, for, for the All Star game here. I mean, he's. I don't know. I mean, I guess we're talking. Are we talking close to max money? Probably close. Yeah. I mean, he's going to get more. You know, Jalen Brunson got what twenty four, twenty five. Um, so you're looking, you're going to be looking at north, uh, north of that. Are I mean, yeah, I, you know, I talked to a team about this, and they they made a really good point. We we're talking about contracts, and he said these rookie extensions are the best ones, right? Like because you've had, you know, this kid, right? You know him, you've had him for four years. It's an upside contract here. When you get to those second and third ones, and you've seen those, you're like, ooh man, and, you know, similar to kind of what you know with Victor and Paul and guys who there, and you're like, well, is it? Are we still getting good value here? And even if you did decide to pay him max type money, you know that the production is going to be there. So he's extension eligible this this uh, this off season here, and I w- it wouldn't stun me if you know if you if you come out of the gates and you know you're looking at a you know four, five year you know whatever two hundred million dollar contract, and he's you know he's there for the foreseeable future. You think the Pacers? Might have any interest in, might be into something coming up prior to the trade deadline. I've seen a couple of names, and you know everybody always has you know the pipe dream around here of OG and Anobi. I know he's yeah. injured now, and I don't know if there's going to be an effect on that possibility. But we'll start with the Pacers trade deadline wise. Do you think they may have any interest on the market? What? Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I think there's a lot of different ways you can go, right? I mean, you're you're out of the. I think you're out of the ten right now. Um, are you? You know, I don't think you have to sell, um, but you still have about you know ten million in room to go out. And if you want to maybe continue to build up your your draft assets and maybe tell, help a team try to get out of the luxury tax or shave some money, you can certainly go there. 
Um, you know, if, if you've got those two picks, which is Boston, I mean, besides your own, the Boston one, um, the Cleveland one here, I thought if you were still in the top six, um, you could maybe go shop those and see what you can get here. And um, it's going to be interesting. I think, I mean, you mentioned it, the hard part, too, is that we're, we're, in a, we're in the middle of, you know, both sides trying to negotiate this new CBA here. And I think there might be some rules coming down that might help give a little more clarity as far as if there's a deal out there for a guy like OG Ananobi, who is not going to sign an extension um, this off season with Toronto or a new team, because it's going to be, they're limited here. Well, maybe that changes and that opens up more that, you know, teams are probably t- willing to give up, you know, be a little bit more, take a, uh, take a little bit more of a risk. Does that, uh, that week long injury he's going through right now, does that hinder the effect that he may have on this, this trade deadline coming up next week at all? Shouldn't I mean I think it depends on I mean are you looking for him to you know I mean is it a win now like is it Memphis win now and you need him like next week or is this type of thing that you know he's part of your your, your future I, I I was watching the game when he did I thought he I thought he dislocated his shoulder and broke his wrist on the at the same time I mean it was one of the worst falls and it's amazing that that's all he you know he has is I guess with a sprained wrist. To Bobby Marks of ESPN, the ESPN NBA front office insider on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What kind of interest might there be? And I hope that they keep him because he's fit in great here. And, you know, three-point shooters with that type of ability, they're long-lasting right now and not going to go away anytime soon value-wise in the NBA. But speaking of value, what is that of Buddy Heald in your estimation? Yeah, I mean, at one time when he signed that extension, we thought it was a little bit of a high number, and now you're, he's, you know, he's a better player. You know, we, we hear a lot about Eric Gordon out there. I mean, he's a better player than Eric Gordon. Uh, he's younger than Gordon here. Um, I, you know, I think he's on a manageable, you know, on a manageable contract here. So it's it's hard because you if you if you flip them and let's say you can get a one, you know, you can get a first. You know, is it a protected first? You know, is it something that you you maybe never get? Yeah, cap flexibility is great. But who are you going to replace him with here? So yeah, no, he you know shooting is a premium. You see, a lot of these teams looking for big wings, looking for shooting either to come off your bench, a guy to win you a playoff game. You know, we hear a lot about Malik, Malik Beasley, Jordan Clarkson in, in Utah here, and I kind of put um, you know Buddy kind of up in, up there with those guys. What do you expect the activity to be coming up yeah, between now and next Thursday? Well, I mean, I think you know I've kind of circled Toronto, and they're out um, they're out west on this uh, this sixth game. Where are they in a week from now? I think they kind of dictate the, the whether it would be uh, with Van Vliet, Trent. You mentioned OG. Chicago's another team. Um, where are they? You know, I don't, I don't see them doing anything with Levine, but some of the their other pieces here. It's the heart the the plan has kind of put everything in a little bit of a holding pattern. I mean, it really has where. You know, teams aren't really looking to sell. I mean, I think you can certainly key in on um, Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte will be interesting with Plumlee and Oubre and Rozier and some of those guys there. And uh, Crowder is, an, you know, another name in, in Phoenix here. But it's slow. I mean, we've had, what, two regular season trades so far. One was a money drop. We've the Hachimura trade last week. And I think, you know, t- you know, first-round picks are limited. I think there's only nine or ten that control them. I think some teams like their roster. I think they're w- you'll, you'll wait until the offseason to kind of reassess your roster. Did you like what they did with Hachimura? From the Lakers' perspective, yeah. I mean, I thought those are the type of – if you're not willing to move both ones or either one, those are the type of deals that you're looking to do. Now, the big question is, you know, he's a restricted free agent. 
he would carve into that $32, $33 million in room. Are they a team in the next, whatever, eight or nine days that are going to go out and target players that are under contract for next season um, and, and go in that direction here? Because if you're not going to give up three, one, uh, three twos for a guy that you're basically going to kind of let go. Uh, final thing, too, and this is like a point collegiately, and if you haven't watched very much of it or these guys in particular, then uh, I'll understand that completely, and I can ask you again some other time. But sure. when you look at two players that we're going to see on the court together on Saturday in Bloomington, Trace Jackson Davis of yeah. IU and Zach Eady of Purdue, how yeah. do you look at their value at the NBA level right now? Well, I had an opportunity when Trace was coming out, uh, when he, did, I guess, had put his name in there and was kind of testing the waters, just to sit and meet with him and, and help him a little bit with the interview process. And from a maturity standpoint, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, you know, good locker room guy, you know, old, probably an older player. He's got that, you know, his dad's got the bloodline there. So, um, I, you know, that's, those are the type of guys, you know, sometimes you're, tr- you're trying to go home run hitting in the draft. Those are the type of um, guys that you're, you're looking for. With Edie, it's, it's just interesting because, you know, we're going to see Victor come through here. Wembleana, he is another big, right? We've kind of transitioned away from it a little bit here, but here's a, I mean, a dominant big, um, probably up there for player of the year, you know, um, conversation here. And, um, it's it's you know it's it's different than you know drafting you know are you going to draft by best available or are you, are you going to draft because you need a center here when he comes out um, so it's fascinating you know because I I do like that we're starting to change a little bit here and um, the focus more is more on you know some of these centers. In terms of Trace Jackson Davis, too, I want to get back to that since you spent some time with him. Would, would this be something where he's got another year of eligibility yeah. and considering? know how much he makes via nil would compensation wise it be more robust for him to stay in bloomington to play another year um maybe then trying to to come out regardless of what he thinks his game is right now going into next year yeah i mean we saw it this past year with uh, with drew timmy right i mean he went back to um he went back to gonzaga a lot of it was uh, NIL money. You know, he's making over a million dollars there, and that's more than, you know, what you're basically making as a, a minimum salary if you're picking the second round here. So I think that does weigh in it. I think it is a matter of does we get to a point where maybe some of that money does start to start to dry up. We'll see here. But that's, you know, that's an option for players that they didn't have, you know, five or six years ago. This is Bobby Marks, always great on the show. The ESPN NBA front office insider. You can find him on Twitter at Bobby Marks 42 He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Man, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on because you shed some light. Like, when I think about too big a numbers, I just get all confused and kind of pass out. So. Right, well, I've been bringing out the whiteboard lately, too, so I'm trying to make it easy. I'm, I, I'm into visuals, right? And people yeah. say, well, why don't you just tweet about it? And I say, well, no, I, oh, I do, but... I, I, you know, it makes it easy when you just put these numbers up on this whiteboard here. And you, yeah, that does make sense. <laughs> well, I get when the numbers start getting fast and furious, I tend to pass out. So I gotta, I gotta call on the expert. I can't thank you enough. Great insight, and we'll stay in touch. Okay. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Thanks. It's uh, Bobby Marks of ESPN on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Always really good.